When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for being with us on the Wednesday Bible Study. We are back again, and uh, here we are uh, inside uh, the new room. You know, we, we're st- it's, it's all still new here, but uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time live on YouTube, uh, we're in the Rick and Bubba studios. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of that Rick and Bubba show, and, uh, of course, uh, with themanchurch.com. This Bible study started as a men's Bible study about eight years ago, and we know now there are women who are watching, and you're more than welcome to be here because, like now, we're walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, that certainly does not have a, you know, we're not just addressing men with what's in the book of Genesis. We're addressing us, all of us. So we're glad that you are here, but themanchurch.com is, is, is where this all started. We developed a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, then two years ago, that kicked off. Uh, as a uh, you know uh, something a resource that churches could use, communities could use to reach and disciple the men of their church. Uh, it's designed to have uh, services designed by men for men and attended only by men, where we have speakers come in and offer high challenge. Uh, then we try to add the part that's been missing from men's ministry for way too long, and that's the high equipping. There's been a lot of people talk about it, but but no, never really provided the resources to do that. Now, that is changing, thank goodness. Uh, we have, uh, as of a, a few days from now, we'll have our third uh, 40-week curriculum that will be coming out. Two of them are already out, and there's churches all over the country and even around the world uh, that are implementing this men's discipleship strategy. Uh, this Bible study would be one of those small group settings, and we've been doing that uh, for a while, and that's how it started. Uh, but if you want to try to find out where are some man churches going on, these are the services that I'm talking about, are the conferences that we're doing, and that's where the high challenge and our speakers will be teaching either live in the room or by video, and you can find those everywhere by going to themanchurch.com and just clicking on upcoming events. As a matter of fact, this weekend coming up, February 5th and 6th, there's two of those. Crestview, Florida, Brian Gunn will be uh, pre- uh, teaching uh, at uh, Man Church in Crestview, Florida at First Baptist Church. Uh, then on the 6th, Sunday night, Enon Baptist Church, Morris, Alabama, Mark Garnett, another uh, man from our team, will be teaching there. Now, there are some conferences coming up that you can attend and there's an action-packed weekend called February 18th and 19th. Now, ladies, if you're watching, I'll pull back the curtain. Do you know why February is the number one month for men's ministry? Are you ready? Football is over. Deer season is over. But yet baseball and turkey season has not begun. So everybody jumps on February to try to get all this stuff done because you can disciple men the way you wish they were or you can disciple them the way we really are. So so here are some opportunities on the 18th and 19th. The Pursuit Men's Conference, Dothan Civic Center, our third year to do this, and we'll be introducing our third curriculum there. Uh, I'll be speaking with Jonathan Evans, so I'll be there. Jonathan Evans will be there. Uh, Andy Blanks from the Man Church team will be there. Uh, and also Charles Billingsley will be leading worship all weekend long. Uh, so you can find that also coming up on the weekend of the 18th and the 19th, uh, you can go see uh, Mark Garnett and Brian Gunn. They're doing man churches at First Baptist Church, Scottsboro, Alabama. One will be Friday night. One will be Saturday night. And then also, if you'd like to go up in, in uh, Men of Iron Conference going on at Hoax Bluff, 
uh, Alabama. You can you have Helmsy there from the Rick and Bubba Show and the Man Church team. Lance Ingram from the Rick and Bubba Show. He does the character Doctor Lou. Uh, Sid Bream from the Atlanta Braves will be there, uh, and also Tyler Stovall uh, will be speaking at that event. That's also February eighteenth and nineteenth, and you can find that conference by going to rickandbubba.com under upcoming events. It's not on themanchurch.com uh, because we are not part of that, but we are sending some of our team there. Uh, so uh, other things that you need to be looking for coming up on February the 26th, uh, West uh, Mobile Baptist Church, Mobile, Alabama, Blake Prime will be speaking at their man church. That'll be in the morning, actually, on the 26th. And then on the 27th, ladies, you're watching. There's an opportunity for you here. I'll be speaking at Man Church at Salem Heights Baptist Church in Laurel, Mississippi. And at the same time, Sherry will be speaking to the women. So there you go. And speaking of Sherry, since we canceled this week uh, the man event, some of you have been asking, we want to see you speak with Sherry. Okay. Panama City, Florida, coming up on April the 2nd. Uh, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com or RickandBubba.com, get your tickets to that. Sherry and I will be doing a marriage event called Together, and we'll be speaking uh, to couples uh, at uh, Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, on April the 2nd. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's, let's jump in, and uh, today we'll be in Genesis chapter 5, and we'll go to the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 6. Lord, thank you for today. Open our hearts. Let us hear. And today, Lord... Open our minds. Uh, we've got some things that uh, we're going to try to comprehend today uh, that only you can uh, can help us in this. Uh, but may we understand what's taking place today, uh, and we don't get too caught up in, in chasing after mysticism and things that may thrill us, but to listen to what you're trying to say to us. And once again, when this is said and done again today, no matter how complicated, no matter how intriguing it may be, all of it is ultimately pointing to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible with something or something with your Bible on it, let's let's jump in. Let's let's go to Genesis chapter 5. Now, when you first get to Genesis chapter 5, uh, you, you notice pretty quickly it's genealogy. And you're like, why, why are we going to go through this these generations and genealogy? Well, we're going to spend some time on it. We won't spend a, a ton amount of time on this because it's pretty straightforward. But 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 we want to talk about what's going on here, okay? So uh, for, for just a minute, you want to look back at, at chapter 4 last week, and I want you to look for at, at verse 26. In 25, uh, we are told by Moses that Eve has given birth to Seth, and she says this is Seth that's going to replace Abel who Cain Slain, and we know that Cain now has gone off in rebellion, not a lot of repentance out of Cain, and we're starting this line that's going to be really represent um, the increase in the sinfulness of, of mankind. But then you're going to see Seth, and, and God always with a plan, is going to start a new line that's going to start turning at least some people back to God. And you see this in 26. What do you see? To Seth also a son was born, and he called him Enosh. And at that time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. That's going to that's going to that's going to put us right back into to now chapter five and why this genealogy is important because this genealogy is going to show us ultimately. Let's now follow this new line with Seth, and let's realize that Cain's line is headed to destruction. And matter of fact, Cain's uh, ancestors are going to be wiped off the face of the earth here uh, coming up in the next few chapters. But Seth's line is going to lead us to God once again bringing hope. So he wants us to see this line, and there's some things that are significant in the line. And we won't spend a tremendous amount of time on it, but there's some things you definitely want to look at that, that are pretty cool. Let's, let's start with, with verses 1 through 3 in chapter 5. 
This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. We talked about that. Uh, Verse 2, male and female, he created them. There it is again. Uh, And he blessed them and, and named them man, talking about mankind, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, underline that, after his image, and, and he named him Seth. All right, so let's talk about these first three verses. God has once again established a standard. He's doing it again. Here's what I did. I made them male. I made them female. I made them in my own image or in our image, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Trinity establishing itself too. And we know that Adam, after 130 years of age, fathered a son, Seth, after his image. What does that mean? Why is, he, why, why is Moses saying that again, after his image? Well, this is indicating that when God created Adam, he created him in, in, in his original holiness. This is referencing Adam's original holiness before he fell. And, and, what, and, and, and then he's saying that now... In his image, we find his original holiness, but also a newfound sinfulness. And so he's saying Seth is a son that's going to represent this battle between what we were supposed to be and what we've become. So that's what that's talking about. Does that make sense to you? So Seth was going to represent a new line from Adam, almost like, for lack of a better term, almost like a correction. You know, Because God's always countering what Satan does. Satan makes a move, God counters it. And so it, this is almost like, look, I saw what happened with Cain. I saw what happened with Abel. Cain, as we covered quite quite a bit, his lack of repentance, he's headed off into this darkness. He's creating this darkness. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a correction. And the reason why we know that that has happened is what that verse 26 from chapter 4. Seth and even his son apparently were being used by God to get people to call on the name of the Lord. They had started a movement back to God, even though now they're all part of Adam's original sin. Everybody still with me? So Cain led us to Lamech, as we talked about, and Seth is going to take us to who? Noah. So you, 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 Cain takes us to this evil you know, uh, guy that says, look, if you think Cain was something, I, I, he's bragging to his mold. He's the first person to do polygamy. He says, I'll take multiple wives, and I'm bragging to my wives about this guy I murdered that, you know, and I, I'm, and, I, and, and how about this? And, and if, if you want to, if you think it's bad to go after Cain, you come after me instead of being seven times, it'll be 77 times. And, and, and so, but, so that's where Cain takes us. But Seth is going to take us, why this genealogy is coming up in five, Seth is going to take us to, to Noah, and, and what does Noah represent? God giving us hope. You know, try, God once again uh, showing grace and showing mercy. So uh, verses 4 and 5 uh, coming up, because Cain leads us to disaster. Noah is going to lead us uh, to hope. There is a sin nature. It's there, and we'll see that, but there's always hope. Now, verses 4 and 5, now this is just going to set the pattern of all the other men listed in this genealogy. And we know that Adam uh, lives for 800 years after Seth. 930 years is the total amount of time that uh, we have Adam. And, and, the, and the, by the way, the population is really cranking now. I had a lot of people email me last week. They're going, well, what humans is Cain afraid of? Retribution from who? Well, what you got to understand is 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 the the population of the earth. He was afraid of retribution of the people that were yet to come because he knew there were a lot more coming, and the fact that 
you know, they don't list daughters. We, I told you we finally found the first time it was listed. Even at this point, we're really not sure how many children Adam and Eve had had, but if they lived 930 years, uh, they cranked out more than the ones we know about, okay, because they were told to be fruitful and multiply. So anyway, so the population was growing at, at, a, at a rapid rate, and you'll see that when we get to six a little bit. Uh, so in four and five, what we're going to see is um, – uh, just establishing the genealogy and what we're going to do. And he tells us how old he was and, and they had other sons and other daughters, as I said. Uh, and then, uh, and then it tells us how, how many years he lived and then he died. So when you get to six through 11, now this genealogy we're about to go through here, um, th- this is going to reveal its purpose, meaning it, it, in, in its choice of which son of Adam uh, follows by, by choosing Seth, the son whom Eve saw as a replacement for Abel, it's going to draw that direct contrast I was telling you about between the sinful line of Cain uh, and the more godly line. Now, there's still original sin, but the more godly line of Seth. Enosh, though seldom mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, but by the way, he is he is mentioned. Write these down. Uh, if you want to uh, see Enosh, Seth's son, getting mentioned, you'll see him in First Chronicles 1.1, and you'll also see Luke uh, talk about Enosh when he goes back to God's original plan. Uh, in Luke 3, verses 38. Now, now this is important because this is confirming in other parts of Scripture that this was a more godly line and possibly even suggesting, and you see when you go look at these places, that Seth seemed to be moving in a direction that might have even exceeded Adam after the fall as far as his devotion to God. But he still has the sin nature because of the fall from his father like we all have. Uh, looking at verses uh, 12 through 14, this is just going through different names, uh, and, and I'll pull some out here. Some of them I can pronounce, some of them I can't. Uh, when Kenan had lived 70 years, uh, and it tells you who he fathered. Now, Kenan, when, when we look here, we believe that this may be a name. Notice there's corrections going on through the line of Seth. It was very similar to Cain. It was almost like uh, you know you, how we have names that are similar, but they're spelled a little bit different. This was almost like uh, there the, the, there was another attempt to name a child Cain that wasn't as evil uh, throughout the line, and uh, it, it's a it's a variation on that same name. And then and then through fourteen, it just shows you you know how we're moving through. When you get to fifteen through seventeen, another name I want to pull out and show you, and and it's hard to say M A H A L. A-L-E-L-E-L in Hebrew, the reason why I want you to look at this in 15 through 17 when they're rolling through these men is because you're seeing this move again. This is a man that was named, and his name in Hebrew means um, praise of God or praising God. So you're starting to see some things drop in this genealogy that that start moving us toward a man like Noah uh, because you want to see his ancestors, which is why Moses makes sure that we have this. Um, so then you look at 18 through 20, and 18 through 20, there's an interesting man that's pulled out of this genealogy, Jared. And when you see Jared in there, the reason why this is interesting, looking at some of the commentaries, uh, all indications are that Jared, that name means slave. So they think that Jared, out of this whole genealogy that Moses gives us in five, may be the lowest one in the bunch. It, it appears that some indication that he may have been um, you know, one of the few that wasn't very prominent and maybe lived most of his life uh, as a slave. Now we get to 12 to 21. Um, um, I'm sorry, we're, we're going from um, uh, from 21 to 24 here. And the reason why this is important is because Enoch is showing up. Now, remember what we said. There was an Enoch back uh, in, in chapter 4 uh, that was not a godly man. Um, but when we see Enoch here, he's going to be in that coveted 
seventh generation spot. And that's a very important, the number seven, remember to God, is, is a very, very important number. Uh, it's, it's, it's a perfect number. It's a number of completion uh, throughout Scripture, and God loves the number seven. So it just, and when you get to 21, you just see when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, who you're probably familiar with. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were actually 365 years, Enoch walked with God, and, and, and he was not, for God took him. Now, now what does this mean? Well, you're going to find this uh, pretty important here. You're going to find that, that Enoch uh, is one of the few men in the Bible that never had to taste earthly death. He, he was so godly, and he walked with God in such a way that God said, I'm not going to allow you to experience earthly death, which is, is really the, the part of sin that everybody you know faces earthly death. And I'll talk to you about the only people who, now that we live now, that won't see earthly death. There is another opportunity at that, and you probably are, are thinking of that yourself, but as far as this time, I mean, you live out your life, and if there's no return for Christ, you're going to die. Uh, so so God said to Enoch, not you, and if you have your Bible, turn over to, to Jude, Jude 1.14. Uh, Jude is a, a, a study we're doing at my home church right now, which I, uh, is a fascinating, it's one chapter, and this is one of the other earthly brothers of Jesus and if you've never studied Jude, it, it is fascinating. But if, if you look at Jude one fourteen, uh, you see Enoch gets, gets, uh, gets a mention here. And let's, let's see what Jude uh, said about him. It says, um, it was also about these, he's referring to, if you look above this, about the rebellion, all this. It was also about these, because he was talking about how evil man had become, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. So if you look at this, you, you see Jude referencing Enoch, that he walked with God. And, and all the words that's used here in the original Hebrew, this means a close, intimate relationship with God. The, the Hebrew verb here that is being used actually signifies that he walked back and forth, back and forth, that he continually and habitually walked with God. He continually and habitually walked with God. And I want to ask us a question today. Would anybody say that about us? I mean, here's Enoch, and, and, and this, this Hebrew verb, verb here means he didn't just have you know sit there and, 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 and be in solitude and I just love God so much. It said, no, this was something in his life that was action. He, he was walking with God. He, he was pursuing God. He was consumed with God, and that's what it means. Now, if you look at Hebrews 11.5, so you see he makes the Hall of Fame of Faith, Enoch. So if you have your Bible or something with it on it and it's easy to turn over, go, go over to Hebrews 11.5, and you're going to see uh, you know, uh, even more uh, of the accolades, whoever wrote Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people have said that they're very confident it was Paul, but we don't know that. Uh, so in Hebrews uh, 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he commanded, uh, he commended as having pleased God. So the writer of Hebrews says, look, he didn't taste death. And I'll tell you why he didn't taste death. He was commended that God was very pleased with him, and he, and he was so pleased with him, he didn't let him die. Can, do do you all have any idea the level of what I'm talking about? I mean, that. <laughs> but here's what you got to get. 
here's the part you can't miss. Of all people, would Enoch not have an excuse saying, well, you just don't understand society I was living in? I I mean, I I did the best I could, and compared to all these other evil people, do you realize how little effort Enoch would have had to put in to just be more godly than anybody around him? And see, I think that's our problem right now. I, I really do. I think that's my problem. I'm talking about on me first. Is the standard is so low that we think, well, compared to other people, I'm not so bad. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, but see, that's not the standard. The standard isn't compared to other people. I'm not so bad. The standard is how does a holy, perfect God see me? He's the standard, not people around me. You know, I, we, I've talked to you that before about Job. You know, Job was Job was blameless and upright. Yeah, but not compared to God, he wasn't. Because we get to the suffering, and God gives His resume to Job who in that generation was called blameless and upright, but blameless and upright about Job was just was the way he looked compared to the people that were around him, not the way he was compared to God, because when he saw who God really was, the blameless and upright Job says, now that I know you and I see you with my eyes, I don't just hear you with my ears, meaning suffering has taken me from one relationship with you, and now it's taken me to another level, which, by the way, it will if you won't complain and whine about it. If you, Instead of running away from God every time something goes bad, if you'll run to God and be transformed by the suffering and, 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 and let it be used how he intends it for you to make you desperate for him, and if you go to him and you get in that intimate relationship with him, Job said, once I did that through suffering, and that's the only way I could get there, I realized how sinful I really am, and I despise myself, and I repent in ashes and dust. Well, see, Enoch never, he got it. He didn't have to repent in ashes and dust because he became so intimate with God that it, it, he, he just... He just said, the more that I know you, the more I want you, the more I want you, the more I pursue you, the more I pursue you, the more I get you, the more I get you, the more I love you. And God said, I like you. You and I are tight. And you know what? I'm bringing you to me right I'm br- At 365, I'm bringing you in. So what, what can we learn from Enoch? I think we take somebody like Enoch, and it really frustrates me because I claim, you know, men claim that all we want is excellence. We want excellence. I'll tell you one thing. If it's not excellent, I'm excellent. Hey, you ought to see the way I do my job, Rick. You ought to see the money I bring in. You know what God says to that? I am not impressed. So what? You think I need your money? You think I, that's what I need? So I need money. I need you to bring me money. God, I don't know what I'm going to do without, without money. No, it's, are you willing to bring me the money? I don't need it. Now, what I want to know, are you enamored with me or are you enamored with you? Because I promise you, compared to me, you and I are nothing compared to him. Nothing. We don't bring anything to the table. He brings everything to the table. And I think our first reaction to Enoch is what? Is what? And I know you're all thinking it. Unattainable. Unattainable. Too, too high standard. Now, if I told you your football team was going to be undefeated for the next three years, you'd go, we can do that. And Actually, that's what I'd prefer. Okay? But if I tell you that, you that we need to look at Enoch and not just go, well, that's an interesting story. No, we should look at Enoch and say it really happened, and why aren't we more like him? He's just a man. Why are we not more like him? I'll tell you why we're not more like him. We don't want to be like him. That's why we, remember I told you before, we want to go back and see all the mistake makers of the Bible. We like them better. 
which really makes us hypocrites because we claim that we like excellence, but we really we do in everything but our spiritual life. In our spiritual life, buddy, bring me the grace. Bring, but lower the standard. Lower the standard so I can touch it while making fun of participation trophies. I always find that to be hilarious. So anyway, so we know that um, that w- here's what we find out about Enoch. You know what? Don't miss from the writer of Hebrews. And I didn't notice it, by the way, until I went back and studied what, what the writer of Hebrews said about him. Cain's Lamech is bragging about murder and that he's much better than Cain. You know what Enoch is doing? In the meantime, on the new line, Enoch is walking with God and preaching about the second coming. So which one of those lines are you and I more like? Do you spend your time preaching and walking with God, or does preaching about the second coming and walking with God something you get to when you're done with everything else you truly love? See, Enoch, that way he woke up every day. He said, you know, I'm, I'm walking with God. Every day I'm walking with God. He's preaching about the second coming. Do you realize how far from the second coming he was and how much closer we are? And we don't ever talk about it. You know, people are going to die to go to hell when if Jesus comes back tomorrow. People you know and love. Ah, well, I'll get to that. Do you love God? I love him. I love him so much, really. You seem awful, awful cavalier and awful, awful laid back about something you claim to love with your time and your devotion and your commitment. Only one other person in Scripture is said to have walked with God. Do you know who that's going to be? Noah. There's only one other person that didn't die. Do we know who that was? Elijah. I don't know how Enoch walked into heaven. It doesn't really tell us. We know how Elijah went. God sent him a ride. By the way, an impressive ride, by the way. Uh, You find that in 2 Kings 2.11. He was transported to heaven without tasting death, and he got to ride in a chariot of fire. Hey, when the Lord sends you a ride, I bet it's impressive. Uh, and so, so now you're thinking, all right, so Rick, has the door closed for me to not taste earthly death? No. You may be here when Jesus comes back. And if you're redeemed, you'll be just like Elijah and just like Enoch. You'll never taste death. You'll step right into the presence of the Lord. We see this. If you want to go read it, look at 1 Thessalonians 4.17. We don't have time for that right now. But 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Paul's saying, some of us are going to take the ride. We're going to be called up into the air with Jesus. We ain't never going to taste death. Now, Paul didn't get to do that because they cut his head off. But he was writing about saying, some of y'all are going to get to do this. Do you really believe that's true? Just a fairy tale to you? Or do you think it's the Word of God? Let's be honest. A lot of us in this room, we would soil ourselves if also we looked in Jesus in the air saying, today's the day. You ready? You face me face to face today. Are you running from me? Are you looking up and saying, Lord, I'm coming. I've been working. I've been, I've been advancing your kingdom. I've been enamored with you. I've been waiting on this day. Or would some of you say, does that mean I don't get to go to the lake house anymore? So is my vacation called off? My season tickets? Do I not get to see Bama play again this year? I don't get to catch fish anymore, shoot deer? Well, I hope that's not how you see heaven. If you're clinging to that kind of stuff, maybe you won't be called up with them at all. Maybe maybe you'll be some of those going, why, why are you not calling me up? 
That'd be a tough day, wouldn't it? If 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 you if you look around and all of a sudden the room, there, there's there's people gone. You still sitting here? Well, how'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you how that happened. You were fake, and now Jesus called you on it. That's how that happened. So um, so anyway, so 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 keep that in mind. Um, so and then twenty five through twenty seven, Methuselah. You know, we 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 certainly know this name. He lived for a very very long time. But now I want you to look at 28 through 31 because we, we got to get to some other stuff here in our last half hour, okay? So let, let's go to, to 28 through, through 31, and this is a different Lamech. You see how God keeps correcting? This is not the evil Lamech. This is another. Somebody, I guess, brings that name around again. Uh, but what you're going to see is, is Noah's daddy, Lamech, he, he is hoping that Noah will be the promised one to break the serpent's, serpent's neck once and for all. That's what he's talking about. You think Lamech doesn't know what God said to Eve or said to Satan in front of Eve? One day she's going to birth one that's going to kill you. And you see Lamech saying, let it be my son. Do we see our sons that way? Let it be my son that breaks Satan's neck. Let it be my son that is the next Billy Graham, is the next Dwight Moody the next Charles Spurgeon, the next Paul, Peter, John. We rarely say that, don't we? You know, we say, let my son be the next really, really famous football player, baseball player. Uh, Let him be a big CEO. Let him be president. See, because we think that would bring us more glory, which means we got our priorities out of whack. There's nothing bringing more glory than for you to raise up a devout follower of Jesus. The rest of this crap doesn't mean anything anyway. It's all going away. If your son doesn't make an impact for the, for the kingdom, you haven't been successful. If all he does is bring accolades to himself and love the world, and the world just loves him so much, but he's not a man of God, we have not done our job. And you know what's cool? If that would be our goal instead of this other garbage, we'd have a lot less anxiety. Just be a man of God. I don't care where you work. Work wherever God puts you. I, I don't care if you make the team. Really, Dad? Nah. Just be a follower of Jesus. If you make the team and you're a follower of Jesus, do something, then use that platform. If you if you don't, then they sure can't take away you being a follower of Jesus. All the coaches in the world, all the teachers in the world, all the all the all the interviews in the world, they can't take away from from your children whether they're followers of Jesus or not, whether they're impressed with them or not. Do you want the world to be impressed with your son, your daughter, or do you want God to be impressed with them? I mean, be honest. I, I I can I I've I, there's been times that I, I I can promise you that's where I am now, but it hasn't been where I've always been. And and God has certainly humbled me on that, and I'm thanking for it. So, we see that uh, what Lamech says. Let's look at it right here uh, in in the last part. It said when Lamech had lived 182 years. This is verse 28. And father to son, he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toll of our hands. Isn't that cool? He's hoping. The name literally means rest or bring us relief from this ongoing result of our sin. Let my son bring us something that will relieve us from the the promise of the fall and labor that we're doing and the pain to the human race. And then in verse 32, it uh, talks about the three sons of Noah. Now, the 500 years here, be careful with that. Uh, that doesn't mean Noah lived 500 years. 
uh, because we actually find out in other scriptures that he's 502, whatever. All this is saying that at 500 years of age, what it, what it likely means is that he has, he, he has been promised that he's going to have these three sons, and, and it points to the three sons that were promised to him, but he had them at different times. They're not triplets, okay, and, and, and this is not the end of his life. Okay, so that, that's got to set up. So we know now that Noah uh, is going to, to, be, to bring relief to the people. But, boy, let me tell you, when we get to Chapter 6, things have gone really, really bad. Things have gone really, really bad. And, um, and we're about to get into some stuff that gets really, really deep. Uh, we're not going to dodge the Nephilim, okay? Uh, I, and that's how I say it. I've heard people say it other ways, but I'm going to say Nephilim. That's what I've always said. Sounds like something from Dr. Seuss, but I'm going to say that. So um, we see, I, I literally have in my notes, if y'all want to laugh about the, the things that I've done to prepare, Genesis 6, 1 through 8, you know what I have written in capital letters underneath it, and here we go. All right, so, so, so it's, um, the families are growing, population is soaring, evil is growing. So, so let's, let's go, here we go, let's, let's start in verse 1. Now, a lot of you have asked what commentaries and stuff that I've been using. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to actually today name those for you before we're done, if we don't run out of time. If you're interested in those, uh, my pastor, Mac Brunson, I told him I was going to be taking on the book of Genesis. And, of course, Mac Brunson, you know, he, he gets degrees like uh, people, you know, have hobbies. Uh, and one day I look at church, and he can barely walk with the armful of books that he has. He said, hey, I got you something. So, uh, so I've been in all those, and uh, they were definitely written for Mac Brunson sometimes more than me. But, uh, but I'm thankful for that, and I have learned a tremendous amount. So when, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters and, the, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God uh, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took their wives, any they chose. And I'd underline chose there. Uh, then uh, then the, let, let's, let's take this on. So, so who are these people? Now, one of the commentaries that I read, and I thought this was something I never thought of before, Moses is writing this in such a carefree way it seems that he thinks whoever's going to read this, that we know what this is about. And of course, y'all all know this happened uh, with the Nephilim, and we're you know we're here. What ne- we don't Nephilim, and, and so so this is. But so let's take on what's going on here, and 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 I'm going to give you some of the theories, and then I'm going to give you the one that I think Scripture supports. That's really all that matters. Does Scripture support it? If it doesn't, you got to throw it out. Okay. But, but there's one here that Scripture supports, and there's a missing element that we, we're not going to be able to explain, but we can, we can throw it out there, and, and we're just going to have to accept it by faith. You know, there's certain things that we know they were done, but we don't really know how they were done. So first of all, if you look at Scripture, the sons of God seem to point to angels. Now, there are some people that disagree with that. Some people think it's simply talking about God's people. And how he did not want his people, his chosen people, intermixing with pagan people. I don't think that's going to hold up because that happens a lot throughout Scripture, and God does not wipe everybody off the face of the earth for that. It's a, it's a severe reaction if all this is, is some of his people start marrying outside of their race like he told them not to. Now, we know he did tell them not to, and we do know that he didn't like that. But if that's what this is, the reaction of God doesn't really, it seems a little severe for that based on how many times we deal with this throughout Scripture. So I don't think, I don't think that 
theory stands up, but I want you to know that theory is there, okay? But I don't think it stands up, and many of the commentators don't think it stands up either because of what I just said. So then, then I, I believe that you you could you could definitely say that these are angels because we know that the scripture clearly tells us that Satan and a third of the angels are called the fallen ones. They're fallen angels, and we know that, and we know that they were cast down onto the earth. Okay, now be careful getting carried away with the giants that we're going to talk about here, because we see giants and even the word Nephilim show up in Canaan. And, and it passed the flood, okay? So don't get too caught up in, in the, the size of these people and all that. That's really not the point because, guys, we've had giants. we got we got people in certain parts of our world now that are eight and nine feet tall. We've got women that, that, that are averaging seven feet tall in some places. They're called giants. So I wouldn't get caught up in anything supernatural about, about the giants, but I would get caught up in the supernatural is now trying to find a way to produce offspring that is part human and part angel. Now I would land there because that's what this is all about in my in my opinion and I think scripture supports that. Because that's something that God will not tolerate. Why? We've talked about this before. It's almost like our study of Peter is now going to come back to our study of Genesis. Uh, and and remember we were studying Peter, we went back to Genesis to talk about this and now we're studying Genesis, we're going to go back to Peter. G- Peter is referencing this and so does scripture that Satan is always trying to counter God, but Satan doesn't know the future. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. But he knows that God is producing some sort of plan that is going to redeem the world to counter his move in the garden. And what he is trying to do in this ongoing attempt to overthrow is to produce his own version of God-men. Half angel, half human. Okay? Well, well, what is Jesus? The God man. Okay? So because that's what has to redeem us. So Satan is 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 trying to work a plan to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with my own version of this, and I think I can overthrow God if I come up with this creation that he loves so much and combine it with the the angels that he created. I believe a combination of these two, I can finally accomplish what I want is to make myself God. This will be my perfect army. This will be my t- I, I, I will produce the God man. And, and it's more likely and biblically strong to say this is what's going on here. Now, there's a lot of things you gotta you got to come in. How in the world does an angel reproduce with a, with a human woman? That's where this kind of runs aground a little bit, and we don't know, but here's what we do know. We do know, and we'll see this in our study of Genesis, we do know that there was a time in Sodom that these angels show up and they look like men and they look like they're men. They're so attractive that even the gay men of Sodom want to have sex with them. Now, we know that's in Scripture. And we know that you, all, you never see in Scripture that a man ever, an angel ever appears of anything that, other than what looks like a male. There's no, there's no this thing of pictures of female angels. That's not biblical. So, so we do know that there are times that angels appear as man, men. We see that throughout Scripture. Now, we also know that the Holy Spirit was able to cause offspring in Mary without anything physical taking place. Now, I'm not suggesting these angels can do what the, what the God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit can do, but we know that angels are a supernatural being that we are not. We do know that. And we do know that they can take on the physical appearance of men. Well, how it was done, no one really knows, but it's, it's apparent 
that these angels are taking on these abilities and they are causing offspring with human women. And notice it says they chose wives. They were very selective who they chose. They only chose certain women in order to try to produce this. And we do know that God uh, is, is not going to like this at all. And it's going to cause uh, everyone to be destroyed except for eight people. Uh, and and we, will, we will go down that road. So keep in mind when this is taking place, almost a thousand years have passed since Lamech took the first multiple wife road in polygamy. And this led to an ever-increasing practice of all sorts. Don't miss that. Really, when you saw us take the turn away from God, the first move that was made by, by this man was to go outside of God's plan of one man, one woman, and start bringing multiple wives in. Well, now this is completely out of control. And, and so we're going to see uh, some scripture that, that's going to that's help us a little bit with this. Now, I also want to take on uh, something before we get back to it, okay? Listen to the rest of it. So it says, They took the wives they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. Underline that. I'm going to explain that to you. The Nephilim. Now, if you look at this Hebrew word that's being used here that we're saying Nephilim, it, it literally means fallen ones, the fallen. Okay, so that's another indicator about that this is likely referring to the fallen angels that went with Satan. They were on the earth in those days and also afterward, which means that we do see them show up again in in Canaan, uh, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man. That's an indication of some kind of intimate relationship. We saw this when Adam said went into Eve, knew Eve, okay? And it says that um, uh, and, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So this, I mean, this offspring, this was an impressive group of men, uh, and, it, and, and the things they were able to do and whatever is was known around the world. Again, Moses thinks we know about this. He didn't know how long that God's going to delay this return. So, so anyway, one of the things you've got to think about when, when looking at this the 120 years, I've had people say before, this is when God shortened the lives of human beings. That's not what this is. We know that beyond this time that uh, that we have people that live past 120 years, and then we saw that sometimes now you look at, you know, we got people getting into the early 100s. Some people still believe that's what he's doing here, that nobody lived more than 120 years. I don't think that stands up because if you look at a number that is exact, what he's saying here is I'm destroying the world in 120 years. And how long did it take Noah to build the ark? 120 years. You know what he said? Because of all this, you got 120 years to get your act together. And I'm and I'm and I'm gonna bring man down. I'm gonna destroy everybody. And, and you got 120 years. The clock has started. He's not talking about individual lifespan. Some people think that's true, and if you want to believe that, that's fine. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that stands up because even after he says this, we see people exceed this lifespan. Okay, so. Um, and, and so, so, so make a note of that. This is likely talking about, and I stand on this, this is the 120 years he'll destroy everyone who does not get on the ark. And we know that only Noah and his family will survive. So uh, as I said, uh, the, the word Nephilim is, uh, uh, it is the uh, uh, Nephal, and then Nephilim is the plural of that. And, and it literally means giants. Uh, that is part of it, but also means to fall, the fallen ones. So, uh, so I want you to look at what uh, one of the commentaries. This is Henry Morris. This is uh, this is one of the books. It's called the Book of the Beginnings, 
uh, and it's a practical guide to understanding Genesis by Henry M. Morris III. Fascinating book, fascinating commentary. But the part I want to get to, because he's going to reference these verses that we talked about, he said, the sons of God, as we said, were selecting women from the growing population, probably from among those uh, both long life histories and physical prowess, meaning these are women that like they're the most healthy, they, they're the strongest, and they were probably being very selective, and, and he talks about this. But remember, as I said, Lucifer's plan from the beginning was to take over the throne of creation from the Creator, and the Bible gives us many details and broad prophecies that show the attempts over the ages to bring about an army of humanity that will be large enough and strong enough to defeat the host of heaven. Why should we be surprised to see this attempt as early as Genesis chapter 6? He's continued to try this. So he's basically saying, I don't understand why this is so hard for people to, to comprehend. These mighty men and men of renown are nothing more than Lucifer's manipulation of humanity, growing both in numbers and in wickedness to bring about a rebellion against heaven. The word choices bear that out. The might of these selectively bred men emphasizes physical prowess, even military cunning. The renown they hold is nothing more than a name, a reputation that fits with their deeds. Now, we're going to see this again as, as it goes on, but here's, here's some things I want to, to bring to your attention, okay? So the Bible gives seven reference, several references to an event in the past that was so awful and so devastating that those angels who participated in those times were thrown in a unique prison and will not participate in the affairs of the world until the end of the final age. Now, remember, everybody remember this? How many of you were in the, the study we did on 1 Peter? Do you remember us talking about this? It's verses in 1 Peter that have just thrown theologians for a loop forever, but it ties right back to this. Listen to what Peter says, and he says it in 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. And Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison who, were, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through the water. For if, and now Second Peter 2, 4 through 5. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, and, and one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Jude mentions it as well. Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Both of the references in Peter are obviously speaking about an event that took place during the time of Noah before he started preparing the ark. And Second Peter signifies that when Jesus went into Sheol, or he went into hell, as people have talked about, that, and Jude is talking about the same thing because he said these angels, what, did not keep their proper domain. They, they, they did something that really angered, angered God. And thus, this brought on this. It, keep, uh, angelic beings were, were charged with ministering to those who would become the heirs of salvation, Hebrews 1.14. And then they apparently sided with Lucifer in the rebellion against the Creator and became involved with a plot uh, to manipulate the development of humanity 
into men of renown who might overthrow all that the Creator had done. So why was Jesus talking to them? Do you remember us talking about this? This is beautiful. Praise His holy name. If you look at how Scripture is laid out, I think it's very plausible. Now, I'm not saying that I know this for a fact because I don't, but it's very plausible that this Genesis 6 account is are these angels who were trying to overthrow God again through creating a God-man, which God was going to redeem the world. When God saw it, he stopped it. And Jesus comes before these fallen angels, and, and Peter is talking about this. Keep in mind, he spent 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection, being taught and discipled by Jesus. And what this is signifying is Jesus stood before these angels who tried this in Genesis 6. You tried to become and produce God-men. You tried to circumvent my Father, but I beat you. I'm the God-man. I have redeemed mankind when you tried to destroy them. I redeemed them. And he stands before them and basically gives them the victory speak. You're defeated. You didn't do it, but I did. And God has been victorious again. And I believe if you look at this account in Scripture, of all the different opinions that are out there, this is the one that the, the Bible supports the most. So what happens after this took place? Verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. I, I know you all have heard me mention this so many times because I will say that you know my wife, who you know has helped me so much, and even the things that I've learned from her that you have been taught through me, but from me being even discipled by her, is when she talked about when 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 our youngest son died his earthly death, and she said I was kind of talking to God about why my son would die and why would you take children and these kind of conversations that God allows us to have if we you know keep them in the proper context. And she said she realized that God was teaching her that this is how it feels every time one of his children rejects redemption. And even though we're going to be restored back to our son because of the redemption, those that reject our Heavenly Father and his plan of redemption will never be in his presence. And she said, for the first time in my life, I had compassion for God. Do we even care about what we've done to God and how it must seem to him when he looked down and saw this, that sin was chosen over him, that instead of saying, we trust you, we have faith that you, Father, that you should decide what's right and wrong because you love us and you are right. We ate off that tree and said, no, we'll decide for ourselves. And, and it just got out of hand so fast when we did not have faith and trust in his authority that it got to the point that it was so wicked and so evil 
the Word of God, God allowed us to hear that there was a time that he was so grieved by the human beings he had created that he regretted that he ever made them. Just let that sit. So has there ever been a time in your life, I know there has been in mine, where I have grieved God so much that he looked down on me and I can only imagine that he said, I regret that I ever gave you to your parents. I regret that you ever came here. If, if, this, if this is how I am to be treated, if this is your response to the life that I've given you, if this is your response to the redemption that I did for you, I'm so grieved, Rick, by the way you're living your life. You are so dark. All you do is continually think about your flesh, continually think about yourself, continually think about what is the next sin that you're going to commit. I grieve in my heart, and I regret that I ever made you. Have you ever, have you ever done God that way? I have to. I have to. And I am so sorry, Lord, that I ever lived that way. I am so, so sorry. And thank you for forgiving me when I should not have been forgiven. Amen. So, verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals. So we even cost the animals. And creeping things and birds of heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Somehow we even bring the animals into it. He's done with them because we haven't done our job like we were supposed to do with them either. But then here comes hope. Somebody say amen. He's always got a remnant, doesn't he? He's always got a way out for us. How can he love us like this? See, he's on record for how much he loves us. And I, you know, just can we stop all this? I thought God loved me. The question isn't whether God loves us, he so obviously loves us. The question is, do we love him? Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Anybody anybody happy about uh, the good Lamech now who said, I want my son to give us rest, to give us hope? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's that redemption again. There's that hope. And then you think, but Rick, God looks like he's going to take everybody out. You're right. But he delays it 120 years. 120 years these evil people walk past this construction site, and they don't repent. It's not like he said, I'm really mad today, and by this evening everybody's dead. It's not like he looked at Rick and said, I'll tell you what, and he should have. He had every right to. Today, I'm done with him. I'm going to kill him today. Enough is enough. I'm sick of this. All he does is cause trouble, especially claiming that I saved him one day. And the way he's living, the confusion that he is causing after going into my church and then going back there and turning his back on my church and living this life, telling people that somehow he belongs to me at some point in his life, I'm so done with it, I'm going to kill him before this day is over. He didn't. And he should have. He had his right to. He could have is a better way to say it. Because everything he does is right. But he had every right to do it. 
And you know what he said? Not today. He'll come around. I'm going to give him every opportunity to come around. And I'm so thankful he did. So would, would, would God look down at your life and say, let's put your name for Noah. Let's say your name is John. Because I got news for you. Have y'all seen our world today? Have you seen it? The things we're doing, mocking his original standard over and over again. The murder, the strife, the debauchery. But would he look down at all this and say, your name? Say your name's John. I don't know everybody. I know a lot of guys' name in here, but some of you watching, listening, I may not know your name. Would, would God look down and say, but John found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Are you the Noah of our day? Do we have any of those in here, out there? That God looks down at our lives and he said, now right there, though, see, I see hope there. That, that, that's one I can trust right there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a work in that one because that one's with me. Nobody else is, but he is. And we know Noah wasn't some perfect person. We find that out pretty quick. But he loved the Lord, and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Do you? Do I? All right, before I close, let me, let me hit you with a, a couple other commentaries I've got here on Genesis. J.W. Ferguson, what the Bible says about Genesis. J.W. Ferguson is one. I gave you the other one a minute ago. Uh, Genesis, Beginning and Blessing by R. Kent Hughes. R. Kent Hughes, that's another one. Um, here's uh, Andrew Steinman. Andrew Steinman, uh, Tyndale's Old Testament commentaries on Genesis. Uh, he actually doesn't doesn't he's not with us on the uh, that these were angels, but he's it's still great. He thinks it was uh, God's people with pagans, but he still has some great stuff. I'm just showing you. I'm I'm not just getting in one idea because this is all deep stuff. And this one is uh, is a wild ride. Uh, this is John uh, Golden Gay on Genesis. Uh, this is uh, Bill Arnold edited this one, but you can see the thickness of this one. This was a, this one's a, a deep dive right here. So John Golden Gay. Uh, and these are all available, I assume, out there, Amazon or wherever you can get them sent to you. But uh, it's a lot, uh, but you know what? This book is a lot, so, so it's a lot to jump into. So those are the commentaries. Some of y'all have been asking about that, so I want to get those out to you. So uh, let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the message of hope. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, to, once again for, for not wiping us off the face of the earth, but always, even when we've gotten to the point that we grieve your heart, that you still give us time to turn it around. And for some, Lord, uh, they, they may not see tomorrow. So maybe the time that you've allowed them, even though it's been lengthy, it is running out. Uh, I pray, Lord, that if that's that day, that uh, whoever needs to says today, is a day that I turn away from myself and I turn to you. I turn away from this world and I turn to you. I repent of my sin. I submit to your authority. I place faith in you, Lord, because I believe that you are right and I ask that you forgive me. If, if you've done that today for the first time or the first time you've meant it uh, and I can help you in any way, just reach out to me, Rick, at rickandbubba.com. Lord, thank you for today. In your name we pray, amen. And thank you for being with us and thank you guys in the room. We'll talk to you, Lord willing, next week.